So the first passage is from Leviticus chapter 11. It's on page 77 of the Black Bibles. And it'll be verses 1 to 11 and then verse 39 to 47. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat of them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat, and you must detest their carcasses. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be detestable to you. Then verse 39. If an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches the carcass will be unclean till evening. Anyone who eats some of the carcass must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. Anyone who picks up the carcass must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. Every creature that moves about on the ground is detestable. It is not to be eaten. You are not to eat any creature that moves about on the ground, whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet. It is detestable. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves in the water and every creature that moves about on the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Good evening everyone, my name is John and I'm going to be reading the second reading tonight. You can find it on page 712 uh, and it is the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 starting at verse 1. Mark 7 starting at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of their teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with the hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they, ca- when they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders 
instead of eating their food with unclean hands. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from God, uh, sorry, from me, is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked them. Don't you see that nothing enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it, it, it doesn't go into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For, for from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Thanks, John. Nice to see you. We've got some great chapters tonight. I've done a sort of a, a roller coaster in sermon preparation. Wednesday night, I was just there going, please, Lord, help. Help me. <laughs> and God answers prayers, you know. He has helped me. Uh, it's actually fantastic chapters. It's not just about food laws and about uh, giving birth to children and bodily discharges. There's some gold here in terms of what it means to be pure or to be clean for your Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a, a quote I came across. The contemporary church seems more concerned with relevance than with purity. The contemporary church seems more concerned with relevance than with purity. Don't you think there's something wrong when a church is more concerned to make sure the, the music is of a certain quality and the service flows a certain way, but they're less concerned that the individuals who sit in the church building are walking closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there something wrong with the church where they are more concerned that their preaching uh, leaves people feeling good, a kind of psychological self-help sermon, than they are about the people who hear the word of God striving for purity in their walk with Jesus? There's something terribly wrong with a church uh, where they refuse to say the hard thing and they dodge discipline people because they want to be nice and they want to be relevant and welcoming. 
but they're less concerned that people are walking closely, pure, godly lives with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something dreadfully wrong with the church where we're obsessed with strategies and planning and making sure our website is cool and schmick and our, our marketing looks good, but we're less concerned that individuals in the church are striving for purity and for godliness and for holiness in their own Christian lives. I think this statement is spot on. Uh, The contemporary church does seem more concerned with being relevant than with purity. Now what happens when a church doesn't deal with impurity and immorality and uncleanness? What happens when people sit in this building... And they don't care about their godliness. They don't care about their purity. They don't care about their, their walk with Jesus. It's like a disease. It's like a, an infection that just slowly contaminates. And if it goes unchecked, very soon the whole body will just see the impurity as the norm. I was thinking that if you could teleport the people who founded this church 125 years ago and put them into this building tonight... I reckon they'd be totally shocked by the way that some of us as Christians live. Totally shocked at what we see as totally normal. The language that we use, the way we speak about each other, the clothes that we wear, the films that we watch. And I reckon in our strife for relevance, in the strife for the church to appear to be relevant, we've just thrown purity out of the window. So let me ask you personally, what is most important to you? Your popularity or your purity? Your personal happiness or your personal holiness? What what do you crave for most? Your personal comforts or, or your personal purity, cleanness in your walk with Jesus? Because that's what we're grappling with tonight. Purity. You ever met that person at a random meeting on the train or in a workplace and as you talk to them, there's just something about them that they're kind and they're gracious and they're compassionate and you're thinking, yeah, you're a Christian. Because they just ooze purity. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Pure in the heart. For they will see God. And tonight we're talking about purity, being clean, being acceptable to God. We say you'll never understand purity. You'll never understand these bizarre chapters in Leviticus 11 to 15 unless you've understood the why question. Why is God so concerned about purity? Look at Leviticus 11 verse 44. He says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean or impure by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Why is God concerned for purity? Because God is holy. God is holy. Be holy because I am holy. Remember, God's holiness is not just his his moral 
separateness. It's not just he's morally perfect, which he is. God's holiness is the fact that he is intrinsically unapproachable. So his thoughts are holy, his words are holy, his actions are holy, he is totally other. He is the creator. We are just these creatures who cannot, with our uncleanness and our impurity, enter his presence. You ever read Isaiah chapter 6? It's a chapter where uh, these, these creatures called seraphs, seraphs are just sinless creatures. And when these sinless creatures come into the presence of God, they hide their faces. They're sinless, but they still hide their faces from God, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's just the Bible's way of emphasis. You see, in English, we have different words to emphasize. You say, good, better, best. You say, small, smaller, smallest. In the Bible, you just repeat words. You say, good, good, or small, small. There's only one word in the Bible that's repeated three times. It's not the word love, it's not the word grace, it's not the word mercy, it's not the word compassion. It's the word holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not just holy, not just holier. God is holier than holy. And in Isaiah 6, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But when I see the holy God... I recognize that that I am unclean, I'm impure, and so I can't come near this holy God. I hope you've understood this. Because God is holy, if there's the slightest hint of impurity, the slightest hint of uncleanness, uh, not just the external dirt, the mud and the the grime and the sweat, but but the unclean heart and the unclean lips, then you are excluded from the presence of God. You can't possibly walk into his presence. And if you were an Israelite back in Leviticus, your uncleanness meant that you were excluded from the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. You were excluded from the sacrifices. You could not be forgiven. You couldn't go and meet with God. And you were thrown out of the community. You were excluded from the community. That's what uncleanness does. It excludes you. Earlier this year, I was training for the Ironman. I was doing a, a long run. I had a meeting with the bishop. I totally missed time I run. I was running through Vaucluse and all those places. I was due at the cathedral to meet the bishop. I had a choice to make. I was dirty. I was sweaty. And so I ran to the cathedral. Dirty, sweaty, smelly, my running kit. Uh, And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Not because he's anyone really special. It was just inappropriate. I had to go home, had a shower, and I felt much better. But you know the, uh, those women we support at the fistula hospital? A fistula means that they leak urine and they leak feces. What, what happens to them? They're unclean. They smell. And so society casts them out. They exclude them from society uh, and they live their lives in exclusion until they're clean again. Uh, a girl I knew called Karen, she was 22, a beautiful, bright, intelligent woman. And then she met this personal trainer who introduced her to weight loss drugs. And she became addicted. It totally transformed her. She was aggressive and violent and lying and stealing. Now her parents loved her enough to exclude her from home. And they put her into rehab. Why do you put people into rehab? To make them clean. If you're unclean, you're excluded from society. You're excluded from the presence of God. 
that's what uncleanness does. Before a holy God, you are shut out, and you're shut out from his people. And tonight we're looking at cleanness or purity. My first point is this. Totally unclean. In these chapters, God's people are constantly unclean. They're constantly isolated from the community. They're constantly isolated from the tent of meeting. And that happened by choice. God's people made themselves unclean by by what they did. Uh, Look again at 11 verse 43. Uh, Do not defile yourself by any of these creatures. Do not make yourself unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. Because in this chapter, God defines what foods are clean and what foods are unclean. Some are edible, some are inedible. And as you read Leviticus 11, there, there are echoes of Genesis 1. So God divides the animals into the land animals, the water animals, and the air animals. Let's look at the land animals. Verse 2. Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and it chews a cud. And God is saying, you know, beef is okay, but you can't eat rabbit and you can't eat pig. Uh, verse 9. The sea creatures, of all the creatures that live in the waters... Of the sea and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. And he says, look, you can eat the barramundi, but, but don't touch the prawns. And then verse 13, these are the birds that you are to detest and not eat because they're detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, etc., etc. And as you read these list of birds, you go, okay, I can have pigeon stew, but I can't have owl or, or hawk for my lunch. It's not just eating. Verse 24 you will make yourself unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcass will be unclean until the evening. So if you're cooking with them, you're unclean. And then if, you, if your pots or your pans or your ovens touch them, they're unclean as well. And don't you read these chapters and just shout, why? Why is it that, that, that beef casserole is okay, but, but rabbit stew is not? Why is it that I can, I can tuck into my doner kebab, but I can't have a bacon butty? It's just ridiculous. Uh, theologians have discussed this for 2,000 years. Uh, some people say it's to do with hygiene or to do with health. You know, the pig is really unhygienic. I don't buy that. If that was the case, why did Jesus declare it clean? I mean, is God less concerned for our, our hygiene today than he was then? Uh, some people say it's to do with pagan sacrifice. These animals that are unclean or to do with pagan sacrifice. If that's the case, then, then why is the bull clean? Because the bull was the most common pagan sacrifice. You can speculate, you can hypothesize. I think you'll miss the point. The point is this. God decides what is clean and what is unclean. And he can do that because he's God. God doesn't have to tell us why. I reckon that frustrates us. We want to know why. And God says, you don't need to know why. I'm God. I'm learning how to parent a five-year-old. There's lots of joys, but the constant why. (laughs) Why, 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 why? And sometimes just go, just because I say. You don't need to know why. And if you're an Israelite, they would just say, okay, I don't know why, but I can't eat pork, but I can eat beef. And you see how God's people had a choice every day. If you were an Israelite then, when you sat down to your Saturday roast, you had a choice. Sure, pork's on special, but I can't eat that. 
I want to obey God. I want to be clean. Uh, the stakes were high. If you made yourself unclean, you couldn't go to the tent of meeting. You couldn't receive forgiveness. You couldn't see the glory of the Lord. You, know, you write out your shopping list as you're doing your Jerusalem Woolworth shop or whatever. The aisles are full of people, of things that you'd love to eat. But you can't. And you choose not to because I want to be God's person. I want to honor him. I want to obey him. I reckon these food laws are great visual aids. Don't knock the visual aids. I think we need more of them. Wouldn't you love God just give you visual aids to tell you what you can and can't do? The problem was for the Jews that they started to find their identity in these food laws. So if I said to you today, oh, who are the Jews? You go, oh, they're the people who don't eat pork. Or they're the people who do circumcise themselves. I really hope that people don't define Christians that way. By what we do and what we don't do. It's got to do with God, his holiness, and his son, Jesus Christ. Remember that phrase in Leviticus? What's our, our catchphrase? Yea for Jesus. Yea for Jesus. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest. And when Jesus stepped into the world, Mark chapter 7, remember he, he was criticized for not keeping these food laws. And he says this. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? If it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and out of his body, in saying this, Jesus declared all food clean. And you're going, yay for Jesus. I can eat my bacon butty. No, no, no. He actually makes it more difficult. Because it's not about what you eat today that makes you unclean. It's about what comes out of here, how it comes out of the heart. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes those evil and nasty thoughts that we have about other people. Within our hearts come this sexual immorality, the lust or the fantasies, the theft where we, we just take somebody else's things and we call it borrowing, uh, the murder where we hate other people, the adultery, the greed where we just want, 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 uh, the malice and the deceit, the little white lies, the lewdness, the, 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 the wrong comment, the, the envy where we think, I want that, I need that, the slander. The arrogance where we think we're somebody. Those things, those evils come from inside and they make us unclean. You see, the externals were easy to spot. The, the, what you ate was easy to spot. It's much harder to spot what's happening here in the heart. But every day you have a choice. You choose your words. You choose your thoughts. You choose your actions. And we're supposed to stop and think, God is holy I'm chosen by him. I'm precious to him. I want to be clean. But actually it's harder than that, isn't it? They are unclean by choice, but actually they're unclean just by existing. It was impossible for God's people to live in his world without becoming unclean. Not, not about obedience, not about food laws, just existing in a fallen world and being human. Chapters 12 to 15 are really quite bizarre. Stick with me. Chapter 12. It's about childbirth. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised, and then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. 
It says when you have a baby, you're unclean, you're excluded from God's people, you're excluded from God's presence. If it's a boy, you're unclean for 40 days. If it's a girl, you're unclean for 80 days. Not sure why. You have to make a sacrifice, and then you're let back into the community. I'm sure you're asking, why? I mean, childbirth is good, isn't it? It's painful, but it's good. The stress isn't on the childbirth. The stress is on the loss of blood. Verse 4, purified from her bleeding. Verse 5, purified from her bleeding. I reckon it picks up Leviticus 17 where the life is in the blood. It says if you're losing any kind of blood, then you're not quite whole. You're not quite perfect. You're not totally healthy. And so you can't appear before a perfect holy God. The same with the skin diseases of chapter 13. Give you a warning. Please don't read these chapters, chapter 13 and 14, during your acne-ridden puberty years. (laughs) If this was true today... I reckon I'd be excluded from God's presence for the whole of my teenage years. You've got 46 verses on what to do if you get spots. Verse 2, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a bright spot on his skin, that may become an infectious skin disease. He must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons who's a priest. And verses 2 to 8, you've got these minor swelling, these blemishes. In verses 9 to 17, you've got leprosy. Then you've got scars and burns and scalp rashes all there. And if you've got these skin diseases, you're excluded for, for seven whole days. And it's serious stuff. Verse 45, the person with such an infection must wear torn clothes and let his hair be unkempt. Not out of teenage angst or attitude, it's to do with mourning. He's to cover his lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. He's concerned that his uncleanness might contaminate other people. He can't come near God. Uh, Verse 47, if your clothing is contaminated, if you've got mildew, then you're unclean and you, you wash the clothes or you burn the clothes. And then the famous chapter 15. Word of warning here, please don't get a teenage boys or old ladies to read this chapter in church. It's pretty embarrassing. It's about bodily discharges. Verse 2, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has a bodily discharge, the discharge is unclean. Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. Any bed that the the man uh, with the discharge lies on will be unclean, and he sits on will be unclean, and when he touches his bed, must wash his clothes, etc., etc., etc. Verse 16, when a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and be left unclean to the evening. Verse 19, when the woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of a monthly period will last for seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. It is just bizarre. Normal sex, normal menstrual cycle, you're unclean. And you go, why? Verse 31, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean. So they won't die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. How do you get it? God's people are totally unclean by living, by breathing, by existing. It's not that childbirth is wrong or sex is dirty. It's just that God is holy. And nothing slightly impure, slightly lacking like a bit of lost blood or a bit of lost semen. And you can't come near a holy God. Not about hygiene, it's about holiness. And if you understand this, it will change your attitude towards God and towards yourself. I know many of us here 
struggle with self-esteem. We have a low view of ourselves, and we think that we're complete failure. And we think we're unworthy. But many of us have too high a view of ourselves. It's not that we, we like ourselves, it's that we love ourselves. We think we're wonderful. And like the Pharisee, they walk into church and get, look around and go, oh, I'm so good, aren't I? Nothing wrong with me. And what this chapter does, it gives you a realistic view of yourself. You are unclean, you are impure, and you should care enough about a holy God. Sure, I want to meet with him, I want to worship him, but I can't. I need to be cleansed. And you should care enough about your, your fellow brothers and sisters not to contaminate them. Unclean, unclean, impure, impure. And if you get that, then when you read verses like Psalm 24, who shall enter the holy place? Only people with a clean hand and a pure heart. And you're going, that's not me. I'm totally unclean. And that leads you to my second point. You can be totally cleansed. You can be totally cleansed. So if you've got that understanding of uncleanness right, your desire, your longing, your, your hunger to be cleansed is there. Yeah, it's like me with my dirty, muddy, triathlon clothes. I just longed for a shower. You know, if I could just, just click my fingers and have a shower at like Cathedral Square, I'd think, thank you, Lord. If, imagine if you were a woman in Ethiopia with fistula. Don't you just long and hunger to be cleansed so you can be accepted again? Karen in her rehab bed, she longed to be cleansed, to be back with her family. Well, God did cleanse his people, partly. To quote the old hymn, he ransomed them, healed them, restored them, forgave them. 14 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations of the diseased people at the time of his ceremony cleansing when he's brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine him. If the person has been healed of his infectious skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for one to be cleansed. But what happens is that the priest comes outside the camp, he examines the person, they sacrifice some birds, he's then brought onto the fringe of the camp and for seven days, seven days, he's washed, he's scrubbed, he's shaved. He's washed, he's scrubbed, he's shaved. And on the eighth day, he's brought back into the community. And he's brought back into the tent of meeting. And after eight long days, he can finally meet with God's people again. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the relief? You're back with God's people. You're back with your God. I'm clean. Take you long for that to be cleansed? Have you heard the story of the prisoner who longed to be welcomed back? He'd done three years in jail. And he was due to be released, but he didn't know whether his family would welcome him back. He knew he had just disowned them, and he brought their name into disrepute. And so he thought, no, they won't take me back. I deserve to be excluded forever. And so he wrote to them and said, look, I'm being released on Thursday, 23rd. If you want me back, uh, I'll understand if you don't, but if, if you'll welcome me back and you'll forgive me, then you know, just I'll catch a bus there. But just tie a yellow ribbon on that tree, the old oak tree in the village. And that Thursday came and the guy got onto the bus and can you imagine his heart is pounding as he's just racing through the roads on that bus and he's turned that last corner into the village and he, he just hides his, his, his head in his hands because he can't look and he looks up at the old oak tree and he sobs 
and control of you because there's no, there's no yellow ribbon. There's no yellow ribbon because his parents have just decked out that whole tree in yellow dusters and yellow ribbons and yellow tea towels because he's shouting, we forgive you, welcome home, welcome home. Yeah, yeah, you've done wrong. Yes, you were dirty, but we welcome you, we welcome you, we welcome you. And God does that for us. Not a dove or a pigeon that sacrificed, but, but his son that sacrificed. Not, not a yellow ribbon hanging on a tree, but, but his son hanging on a cross. It's his blood that cleanses you. Please understand this. Jesus didn't just offer you forgiveness. Jesus didn't just intercede for you. Jesus is the one who cleanses you, washes you. That deep, inner, total cleansing. Sure, your hearts are impure. My heart is impure. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I shelter under his blood, it's like he rips out the old heart and replaces it with a new heart. I'm totally cleansed. It's not like the, the, the face cleansers that you buy, they just scrub you clean for a while. It's a permanent cleansing, total cleansing. Do you remember when Jesus walked on earth and the leper came to him? If he touched that leper, according to Leviticus, Jesus should have become unclean. But what did Jesus do? He touched the leper and he said, you are clean. Remember the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 long years? For 12 years she's been excluded from God's people. For 12 years excluded from the presence of God. And on that day she just touches the cloak of Jesus. And according to Leviticus, he should have be, Jesus should have become unclean. But instead, Jesus says to the woman, you are healed. You're clean. And that's Jesus. He, he touched dead people. He pronounced food clean. He welcomed the Gentiles. Remember, Peter had that vision at Joppa of all those animals he could eat. It wasn't the fact that he could eat the animals that he struggled with. It was a, he struggled with the fact that the, the Gentiles, the dirty, filthy, unclean Gentiles could be forgiven and cleansed. And I reckon that's us. We struggle with the fact that in Jesus, you can be totally cleansed. And so you hold on to your baggage. And you refuse to allow him to wash you totally. Or you think that other people are beyond washing. No one's too dirty to be washed. No one's too clean to be washed. Jesus totally cleanses us. Here it is, Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church, that's you and me. He gave himself up for her to make her holy. How did he do that? Cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I don't think we get this. In Jesus, you have been washed and cleansed. And when God looks at you today, he doesn't see you in your filthy rags. If you're sheltering under the blood of Jesus, he sees you as, as washed and pure and blameless and spotless and clean and without blemish. It's the most glorious truth. I'm not like that. If you know me, I'm not like that. I'm not pure and holy and blameless. I'm still full of arrogance and pride and selfishness and greed. I know that. 
but Jesus washes me and God sees me as clean. And that's why we can enter the most holy place with confidence by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us, to wash us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. If you're in Christ, if you're under the cross of Calvary, you have been washed and cleansed and, and restored and redeemed thoroughly outside and inside. And I hope you're sitting there saying, yay for Jesus. Yay for Jesus. It's his blood that cleanses me. But you know one of the tragedies about Karen? Karen didn't stay clean. Two years after she left rehab, she was seduced back into the world of drugs. And she lived the rest of her days addicted until she took her own life. She had been clean, but she chose not to continue to live as a clean person. And that's what many of us do, you know. We see Jesus, we accept his forgiveness, and we're told we're totally clean, but we choose to live this life with that ongoing impurity and uncleanness. If you're saying that Jesus has cleansed you, God calls you, God demands you, God commands you to live as clean people. Leviticus 11. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Be holy because I am holy. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. As totally cleansed people, we need to be concerned for purity. You should be concerned that you live differently, you're distinctive, you're striving for purity, you're striving for holiness. Yes, yes, you've still got that unclean heart. But you should be striving to be pure. So let me ask you again, are you more concerned for your personal happiness or your personal holiness? Are you more concerned for your personal comfort or your personal cleanness? Are you more concerned for your personal popularity or your personal purity I think we need a kind of a visual aid like the food laws and we, we take that list in, in Mark 7 uh, the slander, the gossip, the greed, the arrogance and you go no, 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 no stamp that one out no that's not me because I'm clean, I'm different, I'm pure you know? when you're tempted to slander and make yourself unclean you go no, 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 no I'm cleansed by Jesus. I'm going to use my lips, not to gossip or slander, but to, to build people up. And when you're tempted to be greedy, you say, no, no, I've been washed in Jesus. I'm going to use, use that to, to give and to be satisfied with Christ. And when you're tempted to be arrogant, you look at the cross and you go, I've got nothing to be arrogant about. I've just been cleansed by Jesus. And when you've grasped that in Jesus you are totally cleansed, you do strive for purity. You do strive to live in an unclean world, and be different. Someone said, if, if Christians were as serious about moral distinctiveness as Israel was about ritual cleanness, then our salt and light might have greater power in the world. And perhaps then the, the world might say, yay for Jesus. So my challenge for you is this. The contemporary church should be more concerned with purity than with relevance. 
And you personally should be more concerned for your purity than for relevance. Let me pray. One Peter, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Lord God, we praise you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us that washes us and help us Lord please to live as those clean washed people in his precious name